Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to episode two of the Big Red Louie podcast. My name is Jacob Lane, and I am your co-host and your captain for the evening. We are coming to you live from Oldham County. Oldham County, what up? Alongside of me, I've got my friend, my partner in crime, Presley Meyer, buddy. How you doing? How we doing? Doing well tonight. How are you? You're gonna ask me how I'm doing when I ask you first how you're doing. <laughs> I'm doing. That is some. Fantastic. That is some real Oldham County stuff right there. Just the <laughs> kindest people in the world. Guys, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at the Big Red Louie. You can uh, find our work at BigRedLouie.com. Uh, you can follow Presley and I, Jacob Lane underscore BRL and Meyer underscore Presley. We've got two confusing Twitter handles, man. I don't think we're doing ourselves any favor. There is, there's too many Presley Meyers in the world, so. Well, I think I think first we got to acknowledge the fact that you locked yourself out of your first Twitter account, right? Isn't that what happened? Yeah, yeah. So I I had the original Presley Meyer, just straightforward and. Um, just an idiot and forgot my password. Forgot the so, password. Yeah. We're also joined tonight by your favorite U of L villain, Ethan Sproles. He is your uh, blonde-haired beauty. You'll find him in the front row of the KFC Yum Center every game. Also on CBS, ESPN. Surprised he hasn't asked for money yet for many of those networks. Ethan, buddy, how are you? I'm doing well, Jacob. How you doing? I have no complaints. Let's uh, let's jump straight into it, guys. Um, best thing you learned this weekend, Presley? Tell me something. Best thing I learned this weekend is um, March. We are in March, um, and Louisville is uh, metaphorically turning over a new leaf. Um, you know, we kind of suffered through the metaphorical winter months of January and February. January was actually a pretty good month for the cards, but um, February was um, literally and actually a cold-hearted month for the cards. Um, but especially BJ King, Darius Perry stepping their games up. Um, so I learned that the cards are, even though it was against a, a lesser team, um, starting to turn things around right at the right time. How about you, Ethan? I learned that BJ King is back, uh, and so are Louisville Cardinals. They're, they're also back. So great sign uh, to be going into March, playing like they used to, or at least close enough to. Yeah, you uh, you might have stolen mine. I was going to say all it takes is to get a haircut and you can be back in the grand scheme of things in the Louisville rotation as well as uh, life, I guess. Um, so yeah, let's jump let's jump into it. Let's talk a little bit about VJ King. He is the talk of the town. Fans, even when he was struggling, never stopped talking about him. If you listen to any number of the radios uh, radio shows here in town. Every other call was about VJ King uh, against Notre Dame. VJ King got his most minutes uh, of the ACC conference play, his most since December. I think it's December fifth against Central Arkansas, wow. which also happened to be his highest point total of the season. Uh, not a great shooting game. I think he was uh, one for one for seven, but he finished or two for seven, no, three for was, seven. He was three for three seven. for seven, three for seven. Um, but yeah, nice correlation there. The stati- res- resident statistician, statistician Jacob Lane, with the uh, correlation between minutes played and points scored. Look, if you look at his box score, it should just say got a haircut. I mean, no disagreement whatsoever. Um, I think he was just flying uh, down the lane. Um, the wind just so- no longer soaring through his hair. Um, he just had the aerodynamics going. Um, <laughs> So we are officially turning this into the haircut podcast. That's right. <laughs> Put it on the poll. Did VJ King make the right decision by getting a haircut? Big red haircut. Um, but I actually I was going to take a look at the Twitter poll. Um, the first thing we kind of wanted to talk talk about as well. Um, everybody seems to be excited about 
VJ King. Um, but is this something, you know, that is this a win in general that we should be excited over? Um, would kind of be my, be my question. Um, are you hearing me blowing into the microphone? I'm not hearing myself anymore at all. Can you hear me? It's, yes, it's I can. <laughs> we should have probably done but it. Yeah, I was, I was, I can't really hear anything in my headphones. All right. So we should just do the show without headphones is what I'm hearing. But I guess we should have probably done sound check before we started because it's mean, too late to start over now. Picking up stuff. Though. It is, so that's a it's good a sign. Really but good it's sign. It's not picking it's up a whole the lot. The headphones aren't. There we go. That there we go. Do yeah. Now we're gonna keep going. We're gonna roll with it. Yeah, because right. I see movement on the soundboard, so we are good. Let's get back into the haircut action here. So, anyways, speaking speaking of, um, actually, we haven't spoken to this at all, really. But um, the the Twitter poll that we did put out earlier, four hundred and eight votes. If you're a Louisville fan, is it an overreaction to be excited about Notre Dame when coming off of three straight losses? Um, I want to get your all's take on this. The Twitter sphere says 67% no, not an overreaction. Sorry to be excited about it. 33% say yes. Uh, when we asked why, um, some of the responses were um, Notre Dame's bad, cards have struggled of late, but there's hard to put much stock into it. Um, some promising things, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, somebody else said we could have beaten Eastern Valley High, and I'd be excited. I'm not sure. True that. <laughs> I that, felt that. that no, thing? that's not. But I felt that. <laughs> that's got to be from a TV show, and we're just Eastern not open. Pro- we probably look really dumb. That's yeah. Probably what about Eastern High? Know. Eastern um, High. That now that is. Shout out to the Eagles, out. baby. What if we were? Just, what if we were just chanting overrated? <laughs> while getting beat I, 35 I, to 7. Yeah, I, I'm, I was not proud of my uh, alma mater with uh, chanting overrated at David Johnson while he's lighting you up. So I think that there's some truth to this Eastern Valley High thing, though, because, I mean, not to compare Notre Dame to a fictional school, but, I mean, if, if you don't lose to Boston College the game before, maybe it's not an overreaction, but you lose to – a team that's placed, I think, one seat higher or one place higher than Notre Dame, well, and you lose it in dramatic fashion. Right, and I think that going into the Notre Dame game, I think that the expectation was um, – not the expectation, but what everybody wanted to see was just to get a win. Um, and Notre Dame is a hard team. Um, if you just look at the recent history, they're playing Virginia Tech close. They're playing um, – I believe it was Virginia – um, close as well. Um, so, so no, no, not, no, 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 no. That's wrong. Is yeah, that wrong? no. I don't know, but I, I, I doubt it. Am I completely I doubt, off? I really doubt I'm it. Completely off on that. They were playing some top, some some of the better teams in the conference. Close um, going into the Louisville game, it didn't. They didn't result in wins. Um, let, let's let's look back. We got we got the schedule right here in front of us. Florida State. Right. So they lose to Florida State by seven. They lose to Notre or to Virginia Tech by eight. They take okay. a little bit of a pounding from Wake Forest. Actually, you know what? You were right. They lost to Virginia by six points. Hey, come so, on. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, owe you, I owe you an apology, but come on now. After you but, watched what Virginia did to right. Syracuse, yeah, that – excuse me point, for thinking that they blew out Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a team that hangs around. Um, they're a team that uh, – they have a couple of really good players. They have a lot of young talent. Um, they rebound the ball well as a team. They don't have any individual players to rebound the ball well, but um, they don't let you get to the to the hole easily, and they don't send you to the free throw line easily or a lot. And those are a lot of the areas where Louisville has traditionally struggled. Um, additionally, Louisville came in, shot two for twenty-two, I believe, from the three-point line. 
um, and still got out of there with a 14-point win that actually felt more like a 20-point win. Um, so to me, yes, it's just Notre Dame. Yes, Notre Dame only has three conference wins to this point. Um, however, it, um, to me, I would say that it's a resounding no that is not an overreaction. Um, I think that at this point in the game, at this point in the season, no matter who you play, be it Notre Dame, Wake Forest, or Virginia, Duke, whoever they run into in the tournament, um, I think that at this point in the season, a win is a win. Everybody is starting to kind of get towards uh, their, their game is, is um, at, at a place where it, it it's, should hopefully be um, the best that they've played all season. Um, so everybody that you're going to run into, you're going to get their best shot. So just coming out with a win against anyone, especially an ACC win, especially coming off of losing um, five out of the last, last six games and three games in a row, um, it's, it's a good win in my book. What, what do you think, Ethan? Yeah, I pretty much agree there. Um, I'm not really worried about the opponent. I was worried about how we played and how we looked because that, that team that we saw, um, the Louisville team, the past week and a half, two weeks, could could lose to anybody. I mean, we all saw what happened against Boston College. They did not look great against Clemson. Bare, I mean, barely scraped by in that game. Granted, Clemson's a bubble team, but still, we should. I mean, we should have played a lot better. Um, Agreed. Never was in the game against Syracuse, um, and then Virginia. I mean, we all saw that second half. Um, things were not looking good. Um, and this team very easily could have come out and did the same thing against Notre Dame, and they didn't. And they led wire to wire, too, which is another um, kind of a, a important key as well. Um, they never surrendered the lead. Um, Notre Dame, I believe, got it to six points um, at one point in the second half. And then Louisville, um, very atypical of this of, of this Louisville team, actually pushed I was going to say, held on to the lead, right? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's big that's enough huge. in itself, right? That's a huge thing. And even, even against the Boston College team that just beat them, so we can't really say that, that much about that Boston College team. Um, but even that Boston College team during the middle of January when they were actually playing really well um, almost – completely came back from, what, 22 points down yeah, and on them. So. Call me crazy. Call me a Louisville apologist. I, I think that that Boston College team is a bit more talented than their record shows. Definitely. I think one of the For things sure. is with a team like that, when you have somebody as good as Kai Bowman is, um, regardless of their record, he's going to be a first-team All-ACC player. And – you know, he can be the difference in a lot of games and, you know, their record shows that they're pretty bad. They've, they've been without Winston tabs a lot of the season. Who's one of their um, leading scorers, a freshman guard, Jordan Chapman, another guy who's not played a lot this season because of injury and they just got hot. And when, when you're a team whose psyche is so damaged the way that Louisville's was, you know, it, it's real easy for one or two things to go bad and to just kind of completely, you know, turn south positive or, you know, with, with the way that you think about yourself. And I think that's what happened against Notre Dame. I don't think you saw that. I think that team, the, the team on um, Sunday came out knowing we're going to win this game no matter what happens. We're going to stand, uh, withstand all these punches. And even when Prentice Hub or whatever his name was, I think that was his name. Prentice Hub, yeah. Yeah, Prentice Hub and John Mooney were knocking down shots and grabbing boards. Louisville just kept fighting. And I think a lot of that came from the tenacity of VJ King. I think that that was one of the biggest things is they caught the energy and his um, his focus and energy all game long. And, and here's a big plus too. Jordan Nora, zero turnovers. Darius Perry, 
zero turnovers. VJ King, zero turnovers. That's and only huge. one foul, right? Yes, yes. So uh, yeah, Jordan had one foul. Darius had one foul. VJ had zero fouls, and they all played pretty good defense. Right, right. Um, so, and then then on the other hand, you have. Um, Notre Dame kind of played a game that was atypical of, of Notre Dame, um, being that they shot the ball um, fairly well. Um, they kind of were able to establish the pace they wanted, and Louisville was still able, able to score 75 points with that kind of slow – well, I'm not going to say necessarily slow down pace, but Notre Dame, if, if they weren't um, scoring in transition, um, then they were they are definitely – kind of a, a slow it down in the half-court type, type of team. Yeah, so. and, and I think one of the things that's really positive for Louisville to take away, and it might just be that you catch a team on a bad night or you catch a bad team on a bad, ni- or on a bad night, was the way that Louisville scored. You know, we saw against Virginia, Louisville hit, I think they had 10 points inside of the three-point line. And against Syracuse was another game where we saw them take 15 plus threes. Um, and so for them to score 40 of their 73 points inside the paint – I think that that's one of those things that's really going to help them moving forward is for them to see, okay, we don't have to shoot threes. We can go two of 23, two of of 22, shoot 9% from deep, and we can still win ball games because of our ability to to get the ball inside to Enoch and Williams, our ability to clean up the glass, our ability for CZ to get in off pick and rolls and, you know, find guys or pull up for that little floater. Whatever it is, I think that's going to help them build confidence as they move into March, into the tournament, to say, you know what, if our shots aren't falling from deep, we're going to keep moving and we're going to keep attacking. Right, and that that shouldn't be understated either. Um, Let's not forget that two games prior to that, um, they were lights out from deep in the first half against Virginia. Um, When things kind of started going south and shots weren't falling for them in the second half, they just completely had a mental collapse. Um, And then against Boston College, Basically, once again, their offense became very three-point predicated. Um, I believe they were 5 for 25 or 5 for 24 from deep against Boston College. So um, you really have you know five consecutive halves of basketball where they're just not shooting the basketball well. Um, they finally were able to kind of get over that mental hump of, you know, saying, um, you know, we can, we can get into the lane and we can score and we can be effective in different ways um, aside from just just – jacking up threes um and I, I think that's kind of one of it's 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 one of the team's strengths but it can also be a flaw um you know when you have two centers that uh shoot three a high three-point percentage when you have two or three wings that, that shoot it well from deep when you have a point guard and two two guards who shoot it well from deep um all of a sudden you know they they kind of have have that mindset that they can shoot another team out of the game um so when that's not happening then they just kind of they, they fall back on, on, on that. So. Yeah, and I've said all season, one of the things that's been really bad, well, not all season, but specifically in the last three weeks, is one of the things that's been really bad for Louisville is seeing a high percentage of three-pointers go down early. Yeah, against Syracuse, I think they hit a couple of threes. Jordan uh, wore specifically. Obviously, we saw what they did against Virginia, hitting 12 threes in the first half. And they begin to live and die by that three, and Chris Mack has alluded to it several times. When our guys aren't hitting threes, when things go south from deep, they stop playing defense. And so that's kind of been this this faux confidence that they've built up in themselves of like, all right, we're hitting from three tonight, let's keep gunning, instead of doing what our offense is predicated off of, which is getting the ball inside, moving the ball around, finding open guys, whether it's from the three-pointer with an open in-rhythm offensive shot or getting the ball into Steve, getting the ball into Malik, 
whatever the case is, and I think that that's been bad for him. But you pointed out uh, Enoch and Williams specifically. Those two over the last two games have been really good. You know, Stephen Enoch's 22 points against Boston College is great. It comes in a loss. Malik goes for 16 and 13, possibly his best game of the season. Looks like Malik from the first – 10 games of the year. And he's not hitting from deep either. You, I, one three-pointer. We had, we had one three-pointer. He, no, he so. took one three-pointer. Okay. I mean, so. that is huge in itself. I sat here with my brother at my house, and my brother like, yeah, every time Malik gets the ball, he shoots. Right. You're not wrong, you're not wrong there. Um, Ethan, specifically, you were at the game. You kind of got a better feel and watch of what was going on. What do you think it was that, that Malik was doing differently um, against Notre Dame, you can ask the same question about Steve against Boston College. I don't really want to go there because they lost. But when when you watch that game, what is what was it that Malik was doing that he hasn't been doing? Um, Malik was doing a lot better of a job getting comfortable in the post um, and doing a lot better job of not kind of camping out on a three point line and looking for a three. Um, he he was converting on his post moves and his kind of his mid range game. Uh, he, he looks like he's getting a lot more comfortable being a, a back to the basket type of guy, which is which is huge. We're going to need that for this team, um, and we dominated on the board. So, what was the re- rebound total? Uh, Louisville 49. out, yeah, forty nine to, to thirty. Yeah, so it was a nineteen pretty, rebound margin. Yeah, and against BC, it, I think it was even a higher rebounding margin. I don't know those specific numbers, but they've dominated the glass in the last two games. Well, yeah. the thing that I noticed with Malik Williams specifically, um, obviously. You like to have at least a one-two punch with Williams and Enoch, meaning that um, whoever is off that the other steps up. Um, a lot of what I noticed against Notre Dame was that um, the pick and roll was there with the five man. Um, I think that Notre Dame respected the three-point shot from Williams and Enoch, um, so, which means that that they're going to have an opportunity um, to get the ball if it's not in the paint uh, slightly outside. Um, and so Enoch, um, I, I noticed specifically in the first half, um, he would hit that pick and roll with, with Cunningham or Perry or whoever had the ball at the top of the key, and then he would kind of hang out top, and that just plays right into the hands of the other team um, when you have a seven-point or seven-footer uh, floating out around the perimeter, um, whereas Williams was definitely hitting those pick-and-rolls hard. Um, if somebody played up on him, he has that 10-foot, 8-foot shot. Um, and if not, then, you know, it's an easy layup. Um, so I, I think that, you know, just an, a general understanding of the offense um, – there, there were a lot of set pieces where, um, you know, whoever has the hot hand is able to get the ball um, inside off a set piece and just have an easy layup. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be Enoch um, getting the ball down on the low block and having some kind of, you know, spectacular post move. It can just be something as simple as some some ball screens, um, some some simple action, moving two guards to, to one side of the floor, and all of a sudden, you know, you, it just takes one decent pass and, and, and you have – um, your center wide open down low. So I think it's just a general understanding of the offense, getting back into um, what what they had done so well uh, going to the, the first half of that Duke game um, and, and just continuing that, that going forward. Yeah, and I think you make a good point. One thing I want to bring up and I want to spend a little bit of time on, um, somebody who I think has slipped under the radar a little bit, maybe benefits him a little bit. You know, I think his play early and all throughout the ACC conference has also – Giving him the benefit of the doubt, but Dwayne Sutton, what what is going on? Uh, the last five games, he's not scored more than eight points. He did have back-to-back double-digit rebound games against Virginia and Boston College. Against Notre Dame, he plays 19 minutes. I would have to, to guess that's his season low, and I would confirm that is his season low for minutes. What is going on? 
Do we have a reason to be concerned? No. Um, I think that would definitely be hitting the panic button too early. And it, it, it's just like um, if you were if Louisville were to lose the game against Notre Dame, let's just pretend for a second that they lost against Notre Dame. Um, they, I believe, went seven for doing the quick math in my head, seven for 46 from three-point range, um, which is obviously um, low for any, extremely low for any team and very low for a team that's in fourth place in top 25 in the country, fourth place in the conference, top 25 in the country in three-point percentage. Um, so there, there's, there's um, that, that would be an overreaction, obviously, if you were to say um, that, that Louisville was, you know, falling off from three-point range. Um, there, there's obviously ebbs and flows with every season. I think that Dwayne Sutton um, has played a couple bad games. I think it's as simple as that. Um, and it's only noticeable because he's been kind of the epitome of consistency for this team. Um, when Jordan War is not um, playing as well as, as he can, um, when, you know, Kristen Cunningham, for instance, is, is a little bit off of his game, um, it, it's noticeable, but nobody really – um, panics about it, and I think in the same way, um, it, it seems like a bigger issue when Dwayne Sutton um, it, it isn't playing up, up to a standard just because he's been so consistent for the first 20, 25 games of the season. Um, so to me, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. Um, I'm not sure if, if you have a different a different opinion on that, or if it could also be, um, you know, his play has fallen off since, you know, the second half maybe of the Virginia game. Um, that's, you know, starting with Boston Colleges wouldn't be taking pick, pick things up a little bit. So there could be a correlation between that as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that, you know, the silver lining in Dwayne Sutton's play the last few games, and I'm not going to call it poor because I don't think that that's what it is. I think a lot of it has to do with fatigue. I think a lot of it has to do with just trying to find a different role with VJ King coming in. Yeah. Um, but but with Sutton not playing as well, we've seen VJ King kind of get some extra minutes that maybe he wouldn't have gotten had Sutton been rolling. But I, I, the game that I go back to with Sutton is the Syracuse game. He looked so lost in the middle of that 2-3 zone. Mac just kind of threw him into a position that I don't think he was prepared for. I don't think he was meant to be a playmaker in the middle of his zone. And you look at his stat line, and it, it just kind of makes you feel bad. He goes 1 from 10 from the floor, 0 for 3 from the three-point line, does grab eight rebounds. He's got two turnovers, two fouls, five points. And, you know, I think I think that there's been some kind of fallout on his own as a guy who is, you know, known for being the energy guy, can knock down a three when he, when he, when, you know, when you need him to. He gets the basket, he gets fouled. Um, and I think that there was some fallout from that game of, you know, whatever it might be. I think everybody goes through rough patches, like you said. Um, but, but Ethan, tell me what you think about this. Moving forward, if you get the VJ King that you've seen the last two games and maybe even better as we keep going, you get War at his best as an offensive scorer, getting a breather because of King being able to come in, and then you get Sutton in. What does that do to your front court? I, I'm super excited to think about what could happen if – if all those things you were just saying come into fold, because if we get VJ coming in like he has, and if Sutton kind of gets out of, out of this slump, which he's due, um, and Nora, I mean, he, he's always been pretty consistent with his scoring. This, this team could, could make some noise. Um, and, and I wanted to say this the last podcast, but we moved on to football, but I really do think that this team has the potential to kind of do what, what Chris Mack did, with his Elite Eight team in 2016-17. Yeah, and I've, I've alluded to that several times. So talk about some of the parallels between this team yeah. and, and that team. So, I'm honestly, a very, very similar season. Um, 
we were we were ranked a little higher than they were um, later in the year. Early on in the year, they started out in the in the top ten, but um, they had a really tough February. Looks like they only won. They lost about six six games in a row. Yeah, right. in February um, again against. A similar similar yep. level of competition, just like Louisville this year. Yeah, had a big disappointing game against uh, Villanova. Came out the next the next game against Providence. Another disappointing game, multiple uh, double digit loss. Um, got blown up by Marquette. Um, another disappointing loss at Seton Hall, and then <clears throat> lost to Butler and Marquette again. Um, and then they turn it on, and they make a run to the Elite Eight. And I really see – I could see that happening with this team. If, if VJ keeps playing the way he's playing, um, if Sutton comes back into the fold, and if Malik and Steve literally just keep doing what they're doing. Um, right. And, and I think that VJ King coming on, um, Dwayne Sutton's going to be fine. And it's just like I, I – there's, there's a bit of a parallel between – um, you know, the, like I said, the three-point shooting percentage um, and um, Dwayne Sutton playing poorly as well. Just in that, um, there, there's 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 a balance. There's a um, kind of there's the ebbs and flows of, of games, and, and things tend to even out. That's just that's just the balance of life. Um, and so I think that Dwayne Sutton will be totally fine. Um, all of his numbers, all of his play throughout the year. Um, would indicate that he'll be completely fine. I think that what's more positive is, is VJ King coming on because you could just tell with with, with a guy like that is that is such a mental block block for him. So um, j- just seeing him coming on, I, I think that you, the takeaway is more that VJ King is is playing um, more up to his potential rather than Dwayne Sutton not um, not not playing as well. Um, and so I, I guess speaking of which. As well, um, you know, we're, we're coming into this Virginia game. Um, we're gonna have a week of rest. Um, what are, What are your kind of expectations? Um, Virginia is coming off of an absolute shellacking in Syracuse. Uh, they won by almost thirty. Shot seventy seven percent from the three point line. Um, what is kind of your take, even with, um, with with the Virginia game? Do you like seeing them just absolutely go off from deep? Um, What's your take on that? Yeah, I'll quote Mike Rutherford and say, "Get it all out of your system." That's right. Get it all out of your system. Uh, I mean, look, I, I had that tweet last time before the Virginia game that we were going to beat Virginia. And you better not do it again, I'm man. Not, I'm not, not going to do it again. Don't get that out of your system. Um, but it's, I don't know, man. With, with, with Virginia, it's they just had our number. Can we just stop and talk about? Uh, I think that it shouldn't be ignored at this point on the TV. We just saw Wake Forest miss a wide open layup to uh, win the game against Duke. I know you guys weren't weren't paying attention, but um, that is not a layup. Not, well, hold okay, on. hold on. There's Holy. a layup. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, he walked though. Oh, Jack White got. Oh, what a robbery, dude, man! It's freaking man. Duke's winning the championship with that luck right there, man. Watching yeah. the ball hit the rim in three different locations. This is our first run-in with trying to explain on radio <laughs> what we're watching. We would be horrible play-by-play. We really. Would. Oh, oh, man. oh, Jack White. Oh, <laughs> that's unfortunate. But um, anyway, so back back to the Louisville Virginia game. Sorry, I just yeah. thought that that should be brought up. With, with Virginia, 
like they've had our number. Uh, and and I've I've been fooled. I I've I've gone down that road. You know, we can. I think we're, I think we're gonna beat them. And then yeah, but you know, you're not alone though. That's every Louisville fan because we've lost nine I, times in a row to them, and we feel like we're and due it's at ridiculous. some point. I I don't I don't I don't understand it. I don't know how it happens. We're a better program than Virginia. I mean, you all saw the rant I had in our in our group chat about it. But um, hopefully, we start beating them finally, like we should. But um, look, I, I just hope we come out. Um, play confidently um, and, and just stay with them. Don't do what we did in, I, I don't know what year it was, 2015-16, where we scored like 13 points in the first half. Just don't do that. Just stay competitive. And I, I don't think that that's going to happen, and here's why. Um, number one, like I said, I think that um, there's always – everything balances out. Um, in, the, in Louisville's first game against Virginia, um, you saw they just went crazy from three in the first half. Um, Jordan War hits almost a half-court shot in the half. I mean, they're shooting what? It was like 80% or something. It was like insane. From, from three in the first half. Ryan McMahon went off. Um, and then in the second half, they just went completely cold. And, and you see that often. Um, Virginia went seven, shot 77%, but they were you know, neck and neck with, with Syracuse for the first 25 minutes of, of that game. Um, so, you know, I, I think coming into the game, um, they might tighten up just a little bit, just because it, it's uh, you know it's senior day. It's their last last game at home of the season. There's I don't be... think they have any seniors though, do they? I think maybe Jack Salt, who's Jack's been a senior for nine years in a row. Be, yeah. Here, what about Jerome? Is he? No, or... they're both. I think him and Sophomore. Guy are both juniors. Junior. Yeah. Here, here's kind of where I hold some faith going into this game is Louisville has had six days off, right? Yeah. So you look back at that Duke game. I know Louisville lost. I don't want to talk about. Duke, but Chris Mack said for the first 34 minutes of that game, we game-planned them, and we executed it, and we just outplayed them. them. And I think that Chris Mack uh, out-game-planned Tony Bennett in the first half against Virginia, and I think that, you know, I think that that kind of got overshadowed with how many threes Louisville hit, but Ty Jerome and um, Kyle Guy, I think they had four points combined in the first half. If that, maybe two. Shut them down. Yeah, yeah. and then and, you get and they took DeAndre Hunter out of the game. Right. Well, he you know he picks up two fouls in the first half, and then in the second half, it's very similar to what happened with Boston College. They just kind of let DeAndre Hunter get going, and I think that you're. I really expect Chris Mack to game plan for this game. I've been saying it for the last several weeks. I think Louisville is going to win this game. I think they got the, a certain amount of confidence back to them, at least to say. Guys, if we just show up and we play hard, we come focused. We might not win, but we're gonna we're gonna be in the game, and I think that that's what it takes. And the other part with beating Virginia is, I think you have to knock down threes. I really do. Absolutely. I'm not saying that that has to be your game plan, but that game would have looked a little bit different in, in the first round two weeks ago if Stephen Enoch would have hit one of those four shots down low that he yes. got when he had his back to the basket against the Octet, he had his back against the basket against Salt, and he just missed the shot. You hit a couple of those, he gets going, he gets some rhythm, yeah, things change. The game plan going into the second half was clearly Chris Mack kind of saw it, kind of what, what we've been talking about. You know, you're not going to keep hitting threes, so don't rely on that. Um, and I think the first 10 minutes of that second half, they really did come in with a game plan to kind of take it down low uh, and take it to Virginia. And then they started missing two-point shots. We're like, well, crap, we were hitting threes in the first half. Let's just do that. And I know that, that sounds kind of oversimplified, but – uh, that's kind of what it turned into is, you know, their comfort zone, the comfort zone on this team. It's just like if you, you know, if me and Jacob and Ethan were playing a pickup game of basketball. 
Um, our comfort zone is going to be the three-point line because it, it's easier. You know, what you, or, or is that because we're white? <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, it, it is. It is easier. You know, you can you can take plays off and be hitting threes. Um, you can conserve energy. Um, you're not really necessarily having to to run a super efficient, uh, high energy offense to um, take and make threes necessarily if you're a good three point shooting team. Um, so, with that in mind, um, I, I definitely think that they're going to have to make more than five two point field goals the entire game to to beat Virginia. So, w- what um, kind of strategically, offensively, is going to need to be done? Um, what what kind of game plan are they going to need to execute? Um, in, in order to score, you know, 10, 15, 20, two-point field goals um, in this Virginia game. I think I think the biggest thing that you're going to preach if you're Chris Mack is, guys, just attack the glass. Absolutely. We're going to get a lot of points if we can just out-rebound them. You know, I think that game goes a little bit differently if um, if Tony Bennett doesn't turn to Jay Huff and Jay Huff decides that he's going to be the Jay Huff that everybody thought he could be his whole career and, and Deontay doesn't start getting a little bit of confidence – um, and then that first part of that game, Malik Williams just kind of wilted. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. He fell down. He dropped the ball. I mean, it was things like that. He was lackadaisical. It, it really was. And I think that if Williams and Enoch bring that tenacity and they, they attack the glass, I think that that's going to be infectious. On the defensive side of the ball, I think you kind of go back to what you did against Virginia the first time where you really try with Quan Four. I think you start Quan Four again. I, I know a lot of people are talking about B.J. King. I'm not quite ready to say take him and put him in the starting lineup because I think with that matchup of four on Guy or on Jerome, you really frustrate them, which they really – I mean, they really frustrated those guards. And if you take those two out, you really throw Virginia off. And I think things can be a little bit different if your big guys are ready to attack and to play defense. And I think that the game plan uh, defensively should be um, very similar to what they did the first game. I think that you kind of would rather roll the dice um, and, and just hope that Diakate and um, I, I apologize. What's the what's the backup center's name? Uh, Huff. Jay Huff. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my hope is that Diakate and, and or I guess your hope in general would be you'd rather Diakate and Jay Huff beat you than Jack Salt and Ty Jerome and DeAndre Hunter and you know all these all these extremely, supremely talented players that fit perfectly in Tony Bennett's system. You'd much rather um, some of the younger, less experienced guys have to beat you than, than some of the, the veterans that, um, you know, obviously Louisville fans have come to mm-hmm. know and hate so well. Ethan, final thoughts, Virginia, spill your guts. What do you think? I'm going to disagree with you about B.J. King. If I'm Chris Mack, I say start him. Because I think that could do huge things for his confidence. If, if he sits VJ King down and he says, VJ, because I know he talked about this, uh, how he came to his office and stuff. I was going to say, are you sure VJ King shouldn't well, sit down Chris Mack? Well, yeah. <laughs> so, Coach, listen. You, you say, hey, you told me you want to play, you want to contribute, and you came out, you played hard, you attacked the glass, you were confident. Now I'm going to put even more trust in you. You're starting against Virginia. Go show me. Go prove everybody wrong and go ball out. Because if you remember, his freshman year, this is what got everyone excited about B.J. King. He dropped, what, 22 his freshman year against And I believe 20 in the second half, right? Yeah. He just went off, granted, in a blowout. 
yeah, yeah, and I bet it made Patino so mad. Yes. Oh, yes. His confidence is going to soar so high. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't have this much confidence until the senior year. And <laughs> I, I really do, and this is going to be the most stereotypical BJ team take ever, but start BJ, and I think we could have the huge breakout 18-point tied BJ King performance we've all been dying to see. And imagine that. We knock off Virginia and B.J. King does that. What is, which, what is B.J. King, um, and maybe even Darius Perry to, to a slight extent, um, what, is, what does that mean kind of go, going into the, the postseason? Like what, what do you get when you get a confident Darius Perry? I, I think it's huge because it, when we started out the season, Darius was getting to the basket. He was playing well. He was confident. Um, and the fact that he had zero turnovers against Notre Dame, played well, had what seven points? Yeah, and he hit um, that one, that one three. That, where Louisville yeah, at that point was like one for fifteen or something, and exactly. it was he splashed it. He man. splashed it. He was confident. The whole the bench went nuts. I mean that that lifted up the whole team. Um, I think that that's massive. The fact that Darius and VJ were literally not an option at all. What two weeks ago? And I now mean, against Virginia, Perry played. Had to be less than ten minutes, and, and BJ was a DNP. He didn't yeah. play, and, so. and now we have literally two players that are contributors that weren't last time we played them. That's huge. It's massive, right? So um, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the ACC little, next week yeah. in the tournament. I, I mean, we'll dive into that a little bit deeper because I think that's a bigger conversation. But what I want to talk to uh, talk about now is I want to spend some time, Ethan, yeah. kind of dissecting this past year. Um, I mean, I think everybody at this point knows you head up the villains along with a couple of guys. Things have really changed uh, with the atmosphere in the Yum Center. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time when Presley and I were in school. I mean, there were, I don't think there was a student section even then when we were in school, but the place was just so much more um, energetic and, and so much more ruckus, and that's before all the scandals started. Right. Now we're kind of rebuilding the fan base in terms of attendance, in terms of energy, and you guys are at the forefront of it. Tell me a little bit about this season. Tell me a little bit about your interaction with Vince Tyree. Tell me a little bit about your interaction with Neely Bendapudi. Tell me about the direction that you guys have for the villains, You know what this past year kind of meant to you guys, what it meant to the fan base, and, and how you're going forward. Uh, it was huge. It, it meant a lot to me because uh, when I got to UofL uh, last year in what 2017, I guess, um, there really wasn't um, an organized student section. The villains were a thing, but nobody really knew about it. Um, I, I didn't. I'd never really heard of the villains. Um, I, I'd saw. <clears throat> I saw Jason. Uh, they had a table at the orientation. And I was like, Yeah, I've seen you on TV. And he was like, Yeah, we're the villains. Uh, the student section here, and I was like, I've never heard of the villains, but yeah, I, I want I want to be a part of this. I want to help grow this thing. Um, so since then, um, we've come so far. Um, it went from basically a group of like five people um, to to something big, uh, and and that was my goal when I when I joined. Um, I, I wanted to to grow the presence on the campus um, on social media. Um, we had like 400 followers on Twitter when, when I took it over last April. Um, and, and you are at 4,870 today. More than Big Red Louie. Round of applause. Very good. If you're following U of L villains and you're not following Big Red Louie, shame on you. <laughs> Follow both of them. Great accounts. Great, uh, great gifts from press too. So yeah, 
He the, claims to be the, the, the one who... I'm not, not going to let that slide because I don't believe that's true. <laughs> My gifts are just in a little bit different place. They come from a little bit more of a hot take kind of thing. Whatever, Ethan, well, continue been, away from the Twitter accounts. Real quick, I've been told, quote, if you see a good gift, it's me. And that was straight from Press's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right, I won't deny that's, that, but I also won't accept that. So. Probably true. If it's if it's not a dad joke and it's actually funny, then it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling totally you. But anyway, uh, the great thing about it, too, has been that the administration really does care. Uh, Vince, uh, Neely, Lottie, all, all of them, they really do care about the students. And I'm not saying that, that the former administration didn't, but they're just, there wasn't really the emphasis. Um, it, it, it didn't feel as, as uh, like, I don't really know a good word for it, but um, there, there's a much better cohesive working relationship between the students and the administration. We feel like we can talk to them. If we have an idea, we can come to them with the idea. If they have an idea, they can come to us with the idea. There's just a lot better of a working relationship where we, you know, we both want the same thing. We both want, which is what a a great student section, a great atmosphere at games, something that the alumni, the fans, the players, the coaches can all be proud of. Cause look, I mean, same thing when it goes, when it comes to baseball, softball, volleyball, Swimming and diving, tennis. Like that, that's something I really take pride in with the villains. We care about those sports. Um, at, other, at other schools, the student section doesn't really – they only go to basketball and football games. Um, and, and that's something that we're going to really be working hard at next year, um, getting more students out to those other sports um, because they deserve just as much as attention. You know, we got right. great programs across the board here at UofL. And you don't have to tell us what goes on behind the scenes, but can you give an example maybe of – um, when you've gone, gone to them or when or when they've come to you and you guys have kind of worked as, as a cohesive unit, basically? Yeah, and I mean, I, not to cut you off, but we saw the video, uh, I don't remember what game it was, but when you guys met at Beer Nose and Vince got to kind of spend five or so minutes just kind of talking to you guys, applauding you, tell us just a little bit about that. You know, like you said, don't go about, about behind closed doors and those meetings because I know those yeah. are really intimate to you guys, And uh, but just kind of tell us what it's been like interacting with them. Well, uh, it, it's cool for you know just a typical student to be able to to be able to talk to to guys like Vince and to be able to hear from them and and when they're showing that they care about us, that's gonna that's gonna have a, a, a great effect on the students. More students are gonna come to games when they feel like the school actually cares about them. Um, and, and and that's the goal. You, you know, we want to be like the 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 Cam and Crazies. We, we we're just as good of a, as a program as they are, and we should have a student section that reflects that. Uh, you know, they literally have to do a test because too many students want to go to games. There's not enough room. Now, part of that's also because the arena is tiny. But, you know, we want to be on that level where there's that much energy, there's that much passion, there's that many students that they literally have to turn people away. So tell us about um, – obviously, there were, there were some games to start off the season, um, probably in December, and then maybe later on in the season when, when they started falling off a little bit. But um, it looked like um, – they kind of took some some of the advice of people who were after last year with the NIT being such a good uh, turnout. I think they took a lot of, of advice and, and put the emphasis more on getting the a- average everyday person um, to come out to games. Did they actually take away um, some st- seats in the student section to kind of in- in- increase uh, what the environment would be like? Uh, what were some of the changes that you guys made coming into the season, and do you think that was effective? In, 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 making the student section better? 
Um, I, I really liked the different uh, kind of theme nights they would do. Uh, we had a beach night. That was fun. Uh, the derby night was fun. Um, obviously, we want the, the participation in those nights to, to improve. But it, it was fun to show up um, in the Yum Center in a, in a sport coat and khakis. And you all give me a hard time about that. That's because you wore your dad's jacket. It wasn't man. my dad's. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just stuff like that's fun. Um, and the villains lucky row was cool and they, you know, pick a whole row out cool. in the student section and just give them something for free. Um, that's college should, kids love free stuff. Exactly. Exactly. If you want college kids to come out to something, give them free stuff or that's, a t-shirt or a t-shirt. Um, and, and there's been, we probably been given like four or five t-shirts this, this season, which is huge. How many have I gotten? How many have you gotten? Hey, you all. I have, the I, answer is zero for me. I don't know about you. I was offered a T-shirt and I turned it down. Yeah. Oh. I, hey, come on now. But, but <laughs> I have, I have, I've have been offered many a T-shirt, so I appreciate the, the gesture. I have been offered no T-shirts, and I have asked for several. Well, what, I'll get you a T-shirt. I think you're like the most common size, though, right? Like a, a large. XL be careful. Baby, right. Be careful. I'm a large. I've got a dad vibe, but be careful. <laughs> Only my wife can tell me that, not you. No, no, I never said I'm kidding. You had a, I'm kidding. Never I'm said you had a dad bod. You literally have a dad bod because you're a father. So. That is true. So, um, but like go, I was saying, when, when they do stuff like that, that shows that they really mean what they're saying. Um, the the fact that they're willing to give students free stuff, and we're actually got something coming out tomorrow um, that I'll be posting on the villain social media. Uh, a cool opportunity, basically. Um, if you go to like a baseball game, you get a certain amount of points. If you go to a tennis game, you get a certain amount of points. And eventually it can lead to some really cool prizes. Um, and then the best one is a suite experience where you get to go up that's in a suite. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, that's, and whose idea was that? Where'd that come from? Um, it was, I couldn't tell you that exactly who, whose idea it was, but we've talked about doing like a point system like that mm-hmm. um, when we met with them. Um, at the beginning of the school year, that's something that we that we both talked about. Um, and the fact that they're doing that is awesome. That they would let students up into a suite like that is is really cool. Um, and there, there's more like another one is like an Adidas swag giveaway. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be cool. I'll be releasing that tomorrow. Um, and like I said, the fact that they're just doing that shows that they care and right. they really do want to help grow the student section. Right. Because it was pretty sorry, like like literally about a year ago, if I'm being honest. Right. right. Well, I mean, it, I, I remember, you know, I graduated in, in spring of 2016. I remember there were times when I was standing in the student section and people were like irritated that I was standing up like 15 yeah, that's, back. That's bad. <laughs> that's bad. Like you're a fellow student. Like that's what we do. We've always stood like, yeah, you know, you can at least have that, that much, uh, respect you know you paid five dollars to get in and you you know have the understanding that you're coming to be in the student section i think that you could at least stand and not look like you know you'd rather not be there exactly and that and that's why i act like a freaking idiot at games because honestly when we started out this season there were i got frustrated because there were times where we were just sitting down Um, i wasn't sitting but um and i remember just talking to andrew the president of the villains i was just like we're a student section. <laughs> like, why? Why are they sitting down? Like, like they're you know got their kids at the game or something. Right. Like, we should be getting rowdy, getting crazy. Like, if you watch any student section on TV, they're they're going nuts. And it got a lot better as the season went on. Um, I think 
it was probably the Pittsburgh game or NC State game. That's when I really think it hit. Uh, we hit a stride, um, and then obviously the huge stretch of games with Duke and Virginia. It was just madness. Right, and I, I I wasn't so I was at the NC State game, and that was quite possibly one of the funnest environments I've ever been in. I sat right outside of the student section. Um, and I think it was like 113 or something. And in, in that environment, it's not just the student section. It, that kind of um, – it kind of hits other sections around them. Mm-hmm. And I've sat in 108. I've sat in 109. I've sat in one, uh, 101. I've sat in all the, just about all the lower levels uh, sections. And it, in a lot of those sections, it is frustrating because you have people who will literally tell you, hey, sit down. Hey, stop yelling so loud. Hey – and then you go to those sections, and it is a party. And it yeah. reminds you yeah. of how special Louisville basketball is. Um, but that Duke game, I wasn't at that game. I watched that game at a Roosters here in town. And, you know, I, I was in, as a student, I was in a special era. I got to witness a national championship, a Final Four. I got to witness a lot of great Big East basketball. Very and jealous. what I know about Louisville fans is that that place can get rocking, man. And that Duke game, it felt like the old Yum Center pre-scandal where fans were, no matter what was happening, fans were ready to ride or die. It felt like Freedom Hall, to be right. honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Um, but but when it comes to student sections, who do you guys kind of look at? Who's setting the tone as in a university? You know, I know there's Grand Canyon, there's uh, TCU, there's a lot of yeah. schools out there who kind of do a lot of cool things. Where are you guys looking at? Uh, Grand Canyon is, is pretty awesome. Uh, I know that that video of them going nuts kind of went viral this year. Um, they're they're a great student section. Um, the Rowdy Reptiles. Uh, we we've actually like talked with them over social media a few times. Um, and then Michigan State's got a pretty good one, Purdue. Um, oh, I don't like Purdue student section, man. Really? No. Remember last year they wore the FBI? Well, yeah, that was, was that was, <laughs> yeah, that was not, not. I get it though. No, I don't mean no, that. Yeah, 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 no, for they sure. Do have, they do have a right. I'll give them. I'll give them that. As much as I don't like Purdue, they got a good student section. So here would be my question then: um, When you look at Purdue, when you look at Duke, when you look at uh, Butler, when you look at Arizona State, when you look at Grand Canyon. All these teams that have great student sections, um, they all have one thing in common, uh, and, and that's that they have on-campus arenas. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about some of the challenges. Um, even Cardinal Stadium can be a bit of a challenge. Um, yeah. I know we do the, you know, there, there's the student tailgate is at Old Cardinal Stadium, mm-hmm. um, and then you have to wind up somehow back at, um, you know, <laughs> Papa John's or you know whatever we're calling it now, um, and and then it. Even even worse for basketball games, you know, it, it, there's an actual commute um, to get to the game, you know, a, a five to ten minute drive. Um, so talk about the challenges and what you're doing to kind of um, to make that a little bit better. And maybe if, if somebody's out there that's a student that's listening, maybe next year they want to get tickets. What are, what are some of the things that you guys um, do to kind of help um, combat that? Yeah, a huge thing for us this year, um, the administration managed to get um, the Floyd Street, uh, not the Floyd Street, I can't remember the name of it now, but the, uh, the Humana Waterside parking garage is free for students with a student ID. It's huge. Um, that was huge because basically your options every year before was ride the tarp, which takes like 35 minutes, and most students don't even know like where to go or how to, when to get off, right. or they don't want to ride the tarp, let's be honest. Um, or Uber, which is like... Can you not just drive? I mean, I don't mean to be a smart aleck here, but I, I drove every game I, I when do. I was in college. But not everyone has a car on campus. That's true. I'll um, give you that. I'm just telling you what I hear. I go to every home game. Um, but 
th- those were the options basically: Uber, ride the Tark, or drive and pay for parking somewhere. Um, and the fact that we had free parking this year was huge. Um, that alone, I know for a fact, was the reason why a lot of people I know ended up going to games this year, which is kind of silly, but still, I mean, that, it, it's, it's twenty silly. bucks is a huge deal to a college kid. Exactly, and that that's the thing that a lot of people don't really realize. And um, and it, it's going to keep getting better. Um, we've talked about doing a shuttle. I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen for logistics. It reasons. needs to be a party bus. Let's just call it a party bus. Yeah, I think you yeah. get if you call it a party bus. I think you're getting every student on campus for the games, man. I mean, you might not be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no alcohol involved. Might. All right, we're being responsible yeah, here. We, just call it a party bus. Logistics of you know, like having them actually get off at the arena and not ride back to the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. ride back to the campus. Yeah. Um, uh, but that was huge. Having, having free parking was, was a really big deal. Um, but it, it's tough for some students. Some some students just don't want to d- deal with the hassle of making the 10, 12-minute journey, which is un- really unfortunate. But I think we're changing that. The goal is to make it so much fun, like you have to be there right. to where you don't want to miss it. Right, and that's why you get such, you know, going back to that Duke game, um, I, as you guys know, I, I, I kind of – try to make every game every season mm-hmm. if I can. Um, so I would say that I've been to 85 to 90% of games since the Yum Center opened. The Duke game was hands down, not even close, the the best atmosphere that we've had in sure. the Yum Center. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, there going back to Freedom Hall, there were, there were some very, very good ones. Um, but as far as since 2011, when the Yum – right, 2011? Yeah, 2011, right. Um, that was hands down far – Far and away, far none, the best atmosphere ever. And I think part of that was, um, you know, people had a reason to be there, um, and it was it was just absolutely insane. It, w- it was it was an amazing time. Yeah, that that was awesome. And, and my not many times do my ears like hurt. My ears were hurting that, that night. Yeah, it was um, it was wild. It it was so loud, and it, it was honestly. It was so great to to be able to do that with our fan base again because, you know, I mean, we all know what the past couple of years have been like. Absolutely. Um, and the Yum has not been the same, let's be honest, since, you know, everything that's happened. I mean, everything yeah, we just, we've we just, we're coming off of 17,000 at senior day in a 22,000-person arena. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and at one point this season, what was the attendance, like 15 yeah, we, we had some bad ones. I remember yeah, yeah. Robin, I mean, Robert Morris around Christmas time was bad, and and that that was sad to see. And I, I, it was I, just I think Michigan State was the highest attended game up until some point in the ACC, and it was like fourteen thousand fans. I mean, and that place seats what twenty two, twenty three. Yeah, yeah. I think the the record's like twenty two eight or something like that. So yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I, this, and it's not really any anybody's fault. It's just. The fans. Well, it's it's scandal need, fatigue. Yeah, I mean, that's fatigue. that's let's be honest. And, and the thing that I continue to see this year that I worried about against for you know at, with the Virginia game, and then I really worried about it against Notre Dame is our fans are just in such a fragile place that mm-hmm. a couple of bad losses in a row really. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to go this game. I need to right. sit this one. Well, and, and to be totally honest, for the fan base as a whole, it's expensive. Um, it's you know it, I know it's something that they made a really. Uh, conscious effort of this year, trying to make the, the tickets more affordable um, for for single game. Mm-hmm. And concessions have been concessions more affordable are, as well. are going down, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not expensive. beer. 
Yeah, not beer. Nope. That's true. And that's what that's that's the main concession. When they start um, lowering the beer the prices. Are down here, yeah. <laughs> the juice box rate is pretty good right now. Yeah. Um okay, so let's let's uh let's kind of move forward here. Let's talk about the next big sporting event, Louisville basketball games are over in terms of being at home. We move into a new era of Louisville football on Thursday. No longer do we have the traditional spring game. It's 32 degrees outside, but we're going to be um, in the midst of spring football with the new spring showcase, which goes down on Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Cardinal Stadium. How are you guys feeling about this? I, I won't be able to attend. I'm pretty bummed. I won't be there, unfortunately. Uh, but Ethan? Ethan, maybe. What, do you, what do you think? Are the villains going to be there? I'll be there. Okay. Um, so the villain will be there. I don't know <laughs> what to expect. I've honestly never really been a huge fan of spring games. I've always pretty much gone to them, though. Um, there's not really a whole lot you can take away from them. But it is cool when you get a new coach, I think. Um, so hopefully we'll have you know a good amount of fans out there. Uh, right. And I think that um, you know th- this will be my question that I pose to you all as well, but um, – I think that that for me the, the main takeaway um, would be what wh- what is the new atmosphere like, um, and, and I think that a lot of our perception of what the coming football season is going to look like is so far it's just been based on um, some of the great social media posts that we've seen. Um, you know they've had some of the coaches mic'd up. Um, it's really easy to to clip together a few big hits or a few good catches or um, some good you know crisp route running um, and put it in a 30-second clip, and all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, we're going to freaking win the national we're we're gonna gonna beat Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, Notre Dame. Woo! Right. So uh, yeah. so I, I think that for, for me, and maybe it might be a little bit different for you guys, but I think the number one thing, more than anything, more than scheme, which I think is still going to kind of look sloppy and disorganized after, you know, just two or three weeks of, of practice. Um, 14 practices to be four, exact. 14 practices. So 14 practices isn't going to do much coming off of a team with a completely destroyed culture. Um, so I, I think that the biggest thing for me is just going to be attitude. Um, you saw, you know, a, as the season went on um, for, for Louisville football this year, um, you saw a lot of people hanging their heads. Um, you saw a lot of people not running out plays. You saw long touchdowns given up that ne- didn't necessarily have to be given up uh, just because somebody didn't finish a play. Um, you saw people just completely blowing assignments. You saw 12 men on the field. You saw, I mean, just you, you could go on for hours about just the ineptitude, um, the lack of hustle, the lack of commitment, um, the lack of respect for the coaching staff. Um, so for me, I think that the main thing that I would just be looking for to take away from an hour, hour and a half open practice um, is is what what is the atmosphere like? Um, and, and I think that'll be something that within the first five to ten minutes that you'll be able to tell right off the bat. Um, is this different than what, what the Petrino era was like? Yeah, and I mean, I I don't know what the structure of this is going to be. I don't know what they're going to be doing. Uh, Scott Satterfield kind of talked about they're going to. This is going to be a, you know it's going to be a game, but they're not going to be keeping score. They're going to they're not going to be doing the traditional things that you would see in a spring game. So you know, if I were there, what I would be looking for is personally, I don't want to see one side of the ball dominate the other, right? Because then I start to worry about okay. Well, the defense is shutting down the offense. That means we have an offensive problem. The offense is lighting up the defense. We've got a defensive problem. I want to see just kind of a balanced performance from both sides. I want to see a couple of highlight plays, whether it's Des Fitzpatrick scoring a big touchdown or Hassan Hall or uh, Colin Wilson ripping off a big run or a nice throw from Jawan Pass or Malik Cunningham or 
you know, an interception or whatever the case is. I just want to see balanced play. And then like you kind of alluded to, I want to see some competitiveness. I want to see some fire, some big hits. I want to see um, just what these guys have been hearing and what they've been around and what's been preached from the coaching staff put into action on the field. And, it, it, you know, you're not going to learn anything from a, a scrimmage. You're, you're just not. There's not much. And what, the second thing is they're not going to want to put anything out there that anybody could get any kind of competitive at, advantage out of. So it's going to be a really watered down, um, you know, football game, scrimmage, whatever. Um, but I just want to see some intensity. I think that's what's been missing the last year. You know, you could say two years, but, you know, two years ago, Lamar Jackson really kind of led them as far as they went. So this past year, the intensity was missing. And I, I just want to see what that looks like when it returns. I want to see, you know, I want another thing is I want to see who the hell is going to play. Right. Who's going to, who, who is going to yeah. play at what position? I mean, it, it's impossible. We're, we talk about, Presley and I talk about what kind of content do we want to write about football. I have no clue because I don't know who's playing. Right. No clue. There's guys on this team that haven't played in three years who could play. I mean, yeah. Yeah. seriously. You have, you have you know, seriously, high three-star, yeah. four-star recruits that ha- have seen yeah. like 10 downs in their entire life. Literally, the, those, those guys were literally the last time I kind of heard about them was signing day. And it was, yep. Two years ago, so. right? I could I could name off five guys who that's the case. The last time we heard of them was, damn, we just got a four star. Right, where have they been? Riding the bench. Yeah. Whose fault is that? Bobby Petrino, Boozy Whitlow, Lamarcus Thomas. I mean, you you, you go on for right, and, and, but that's that's besides. But that brings up a good question, and you know this is, this is going to be tough. But Presley, Ethan, one guy on each side of the ball. Who are you looking forward to seeing? Jawan Pass, um, which is a super, like I guess, stereotypical answer, but I, I want to see how much Frank Ponce and Satterfield have done um, in the short amount of time they've had with them. Um, I want to see or gain confidence in them. I want to see him sling the ball around. Um, yeah, that's my answer for now. Yeah, and I, I don't think you're wrong there by saying that. And I don't think it's a cop out because I think that if you don't see some basic improvement out of him, you have to right. worry about whether or not the kid can play here. Yeah, and I don't mean that as criticism to a college kid who's not getting paid to play. I just, I, I just think if you, you know, I know that he didn't get the proper coaching that he needed last year because of the quarterback coach situation. You know, I know Bobby Petrino is a guru at quarterback, but I think he kind of gave up on him early. And I know that, that Satterfield's only been here since December, but if you don't see some kind of improvement with the ability to get the ball out quickly, the lack of happy feet in the pocket, then I think you really have some concern from him being able to, to Wait, play in this offense. In, in reality, when you're looking at a spring game or whatever we're calling this now. Spring um, showcase. Spring showcase. When you, There's going to be less than 1,000 people there, and I would put, I would bet my mortgage on that. Um, it's going to be 35 degrees we're going to get about an inch of snow on Thursday night. So there's not going to be a lot of people there. There's not going to be a lot of pressure. So I guess my my um, my takeaway would be he needs to be looking better than he did the last time that we saw him in, in game because in, in a situation where there's zero pressure, um, the only thing he should be really be worried about is just kind of nailing down the bases. Zipping the ball around. You yeah. want to see him hitting some of those throws with because it, arguably his biggest – uh, flaw last year was handling pressure, and you can't blame a kid who has 0.7 seconds to throw before he's got right, somebody right. in his face. And with the quarterback not being eligible to be hit in a spring game, 
you want to see the kid throwing the ball everywhere, right? You want to and, see him throw for 200 yards, a couple touchdowns. And we saw that. You know, if you think about the last time he really didn't have much pressure on him, it was in the spring game two years ago behind Lamar Jackson. He's playing opposite Lamar Jackson on, on the other team, and he tore it up. And some people are like, dude, you know, Lamar's going to be gone, but we got we got a Puma coming in. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob hates that we no, call we're him. we're not calling him that, man. We're calling him but, Kitty Cat until he gets to, but, to playing well on the field, man. But, but point, point being that he has the talent. Um, that, no, hands down. It, yeah. It's – Again, it, it, it's a mental thing, um, and, and I think that you know we're all about drawing parallels tonight. At least I am. You know, th- there's a lot of similarities between um, how Puma Pass played this year and how BJ King has started out um, 2000, 2019 in conference play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know you have a guy that is supremely talented. He has a tremendous amount of size for his position. A guy that if he, if he were to go to the league right now, uh, first person off the bus in his unit. Um, that it would be, you know, he would be one of the, the most talked about guys. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it, it's a situation um, where it, it's just going to, you know, we're, we're going to have to kind of wait and see if he's able to kind of mentally. Overcome. Yeah. Lamar called him last year, you know, when Lamar was in training camp, they, I, I think he was in training camp when they asked him, he called, I, I think it was Lamar, maybe I'm wrong here. Somebody called him Baby Cam Newton, and that's what he's yeah, like. He's Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I think it was Lamar. Uh, but for me, the guy that I'm most interested in seeing, and it might not be a sexy answer, but it's Makai Becton because mm-hmm. you bring in Dwayne Ledford, who coached uh, Garrett uh, Bradbury last year, who won the Remington Award for the best interior offensive lineman. He's put several, several offensive linemen into the NFL the last couple of years, and um Becton arguably is the most talented offensive lineman as a whole that we've had since, you know, maybe, you know, Jerron Christian's not been too distant, but, you know, he maybe Eric Wood, I don't know. I don't, a couple of offensive linemen in between Eric Wood and, and Jerron Christian, but right. Becton has all the talent that you could ask for, but he's not had the coaching that you would want. The cat Tux has made an appearance. Tux, welcome, <laughs> to, the, Tux, welcome to the show, buddy. Yeah. Uh, did you ask him who he thinks is going to be the MVP of the Spring Showcase? Talks, we got anything? <laughs> we got a meow. <laughs> Ethan's in his chair. Right? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm really interested to see Becton because he's your left tackle. He's your anchor of the offensive line. Again, he's the kind of guy the same. If you don't see some kind of improvement, even though it's only been 14 practices, it's been a couple of months as a whole, you kind of wonder if it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he does, right, if he holds that side of the line down, you, you know, you pair Cole Bentley with him or Caleb Chandler, whoever you put at that left guard spot. Mm-hmm. You bring in TJ McCoy, the grad transfer from Florida as your yes. center man. You really lock down one side of the line. Right. And you really give Jawan, Malik, Evan Conley, Dean James, whoever it is, <laughs> some, some time to throw the football. And that's when the offense becomes really dangerous. Yeah. Uh, 100% agreed. Um, and, and you honestly kind of took it out of my mouth. I think that TJ McCoy is a guy that I'm, I'm interested in. Um, and seeing how he turns out. He's a guy who... Is you know he's not playing, though, right? He's not here. He, oh, he's not going to be playing in the no, spring game. he's not here well, yet. We were just talking one player in, in the offense. That okay, was looking all right. I'm just game. letting you know. I didn't know but, if you knew that. Just making sure. He that That's a guy who I think can come in, and um, you know if, if he is to, to get healthy and stay healthy, that's the kind of guy that that I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he can perform under one of the... Um, one of the best offensive line coaches in, in the country. Um, outside of that, 
Um, we've alluded to this a little bit, but, but Colin Wilson is really mm-hmm. a guy that um, I think that he is the most talented guy on the on the entire offense. That includes that's just Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. That includes Juwan Pass. That includes a, a number of guys who are, are are supremely talented. I think that Colin Wilson has the talent to you know be a, a, an efficient back in the NFL one day. Um, I'm not sure what um, the, the fallout was with Bobby Petrino, but Justin and the very very limited playing time that he had last year, the guy was a monster. And I think that he's a guy who has the ability to be a three-down back. Um, I think he's a guy who has the speed, he has the burst, but he's, he can also – he'll run you over. He'll to finish, to finish the carry. He's kind of like a um, – to compare him to a Louisville player, he'll finish the play like a Brandon Radcliffe, but he has more speed than that. Um, yeah, so, he, he really reminds me a lot of Colby Smith. Yeah. You know, if you remember when he played with Michael Bush, I mean – a guy who was fast but also could run you over if he got the chance. Uh, I, I'm also really excited about him. Defensively, real quick, you guys, who, who, are, we, who are we watching? Just It doesn't have to be Thursday, but who in general are we watching? I, I, I'll say it again. Boozy Whitlow is a guy that I've been on since before last season. and um, he, He's a guy that, again, and, and he didn't play much at South Carolina, but what he showed was the ability to be um, you know, down the road in elite – Guy um, com- coming off coming off the edge um, in, in any sport sort sort of defense, so he's not a guy that you saw a lot last year. And, and I think that again, just like Colin Wilson, he's a guy that found the doghouse um, under Bobby Petrino. And I think that he's a guy that that down the line um, could could be extremely um, extremely versatile. And he could be a guy that on a defensive line that doesn't have a bunch of big names yet, um, he could be a guy who really steps up this year. Ethan. I'm going to go C.J. Avery. Okay. Good Linebacker call. or safety? Great question. Um, I, I think I nobody think knows. I mean, I, yeah. In my opinion, he he would, he would could be an elite um, safety. And I, I know I've, I've used the word elite about every guy that we've described, but there's, there, there's, there's a lot on this team. I mean, there's Dorian Etheridge. I mean, the, the list goes on. I mean, there, there's a lot of talent on that defense even. Uh, Jacob? And he takes on, on defense. Yeah, you know, I think the the position to watch the most this offseason is defensive line because there's a lot of guys there who are better fits for the Satterfield offense. For me, the guy that I'm watching the most is Gigi Robinson. He's a senior. Uh, he's been playing at that defensive end spot in the 4-3 <clears throat> this year. He's likely going to transition into the nose tackle spot. And at Satterfield, uh, Brian Brown defense, I think that that's one of the most important spots. So I'm interested to see, one, how he fits there. Can he play the nose tackle? Can he fill gaps? Can he allow his uh, you know, his uh, opposite lineman to help penetrate? Can he give space for his rush linebackers, his inside linebackers, and even their blitzers from outside to, to have some space to get into the backfield? Um, and, and for me, if, you, if you're not going to put it together this year, you're, you're just not going right. to be able to play and, football and the next He's level. a guy we've been talking about since his freshman year. And he stood out more, I think, his freshman and sophomore year because you did have a ton of talent, especially under Todd Grantham, who um, really knew, knew how to utilize the talent that they had. Um, I think that he's a guy that stood out more his first couple of years because you know he he was freed up to do um, what he can what he does so well um, because of, of guys like James Hearns and guys like 
Um, I'm so sorry, his name is Jonathan right. Grenard, Jonathan right? Grenard and Devontae Fields. He did. G.J. Robinson never fit the mold of the Todd Grantham defense. He and then he definitely didn't fit what Peter Sermon was doing. Right. Unfortunately, you know, you thought there'd be a better chance for him to kind of fit what Brian uh, Brian Van Gorder was doing, and it just didn't happen for whatever reason. I don't know if that was a scheme fit, if that was a lack of. Uh, effort and practice, whatever. So this year, he is your lone senior. If I'm not mistaken, that could be an inaccurate statement, but he's one of your few seniors Jerry on the defensive line, line. I believe. I, I think he is a junior, if I'm not is mistaken. He, okay. I, I think he came in with three. Yeah, I think okay. he came in with him and Boykin both came in with three years of eligibility. So I, I think that you're going to see uh, him kind of um, excel this year in the Satterfield offense, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, all right, last thoughts football. Who wins spring game? I'm going to have to go with the cards. <laughs> That's tough, but I, I'm going to agree with you there. Chris. Yeah. It's, it's in the cards. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Take it. All right. Take speaking it. of which, let's jump into our last segment of the show. This is our favorite segment. We hope it will be yours someday. Take it or leave it. Get the jingle. Take it or leave it. <laughs> I, I never have a, a future in, in, as a recording artist for sure, especially not with this persistent cold. Right, exactly. So for those of you tuning in for the first time to the Big Red Louie podcast, this the segment Take It or Leave It. Basically what we do here is we we have a statement and as a as a crew here we're either gonna take it as in we yes, confirm it. That's it, that's happening. We're gonna leave it, that's not happening. So let's jump in. The news this week on the defense, kind of out of left field. Last year's uh, transfer from Ohio State, Rajay <laughs> Burns, played cornerback, had a couple of interceptions. Really did a great job as a kick returner. Uh, strange news, he's being transitioned into the outside linebacker position, even though he's only 6 feet, 195 pounds. From what I have been told from people who know the situation, Rajay Burns has not got the speed at the corner position that the coaching staff from Louisville is looking for, but, but at the same time presents a really unique outside rusher as kind of that nickel star safety linebacker, right, right. Uh, likely going to be a third down blitzer. Uh, so the Rajay Burns being moved to linebacker is a smart move for the for the defense. Presley, Look, I'm, I'm not going to before we even have the coaching staff uh, coach one game, or we even see them, um, you know, in, in their kind of you know they're they're the experts of their own defense. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to say that that's a, that's a dumb move. I think it's a very intriguing move. Um, the one reason why I'm not going to leave it um, is because I think that Rajay Burns appeared like he was a little bit too slow um, in, in the secondary last year. And I think that that's the reason for, for the move. Um, he's, he's a guy who seems like he has the skills to be to, to start in the secondary, but he might just be a step too slow. And you even saw, you know, as a, as a punt returner, He's not a guy that you put a, put back at for punt for punt returns because he just has this blazing speed. He's just an efficient punt return who knows how to read the holes. Yeah, and, and the one play that comes to mind last year was that was that really weird interception against Virginia. Right, he picks it off, returns it, but can't get into the end zone. Gets caught at the one yard line, and then remember. That's when they put – I believe that's when they put Jawan back into the game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Maybe that's when they bring Malik in. I can't remember which one it was. It was Jawan. They brought in Jawan Pass. After – Mal- Yeah, so they bring Jawan in, but then they run the football three times, yes. four times. They can't get into the end yeah. zone. Oh. Louisville goes on to lose 27-3 to in that game. But you see – my point being, you see on that play the corner – uh, Rajay Burns can't break away from a defense. Any, literally from any offense. other corner 
from the best corner in Jair Alexander to the worst corner that you can think of that's that's played it down at Louisville in the last 10 years, any other corner that would have been housed. <laughs> and my man was just not – he was just slow rolling to the end zone. He had about a 15-second punt return on a straight line to the end zone in that uh, in that uh, crazy rain game to start the, to start the year against Indiana State. We are like, I think he's going to score if he gets there at some point. Which, granted, it's not – he just looks like he's the same speed as a linebacker. So he's got linebacker right, speed. Right, exactly. Linebacker speed is not a bad thing. It's not. And Ethan, Rajay Burns being moved to linebacker is a smart move. Take it. Pretty Take much the same thing as Price. You can't insult the staff, uh, especially when they haven't even coached the game. They're the experts. Yeah, I agree. I will take that one. I think he presents a really unique player at linebacker. I, I, you know, you have to worry about being six feet, 195 pounds at linebacker, and and offensive linemen just kind of laughing at you as you come in. But if you can blitz four guys, five guys on third down in a very unique way, Burns gives you a guy who can just kind of sneak into the backfield. I think that he showed last year he's a capable tackler, uh, and that's a that's a unique thing for the defense. And one thing that's that they've mentioned too is they don't really care about size. If you can play, you can play. Um, and I think another part of it is also we have a pretty loaded secondary, and they're probably trying to find a way to get – as many of the best players on the team right. on the field as Great possible. Point. Great and point. we heard about you know Robert Hicks is being moved to the defensive line, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you're you're basically effectively taking away one of the defensive line positions anyways right now. So that means that um, you know you have a you have overflow of, of I'm not going to say overflow of talent necessarily, but you have an overflow of just players in general um, in the secondary. So that's going to leave a gap at linebacker. Um, and I think that, that moving Rajay Burns there is a smart thing. 4-7 speed is not very good for a corner, but that's great speed for a linebacker. So um, yep. I'm taking Rajay Burns in a foot race over Robert Hicks. Yeah, it's so. a good point. All right, let's move on to the next one. Running back Colin Wilson will lead Louisville football in rushing yards in 2019. Ethan, take it or leave it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. Okay, man, a few words. Presley? Yeah. I'm going to take it as well. Um, and, and I know – you know, he's. I said he's the guy that that I'm the most intrigued with, but I'm also he's also the guy that I'm I'm the most high on on this team. Um, I think that Scott Scott Satterfield's offense is more predicated on the run game. That's why I also think that um, you know Jawan Pass is a good fit in, in this offense simply because he's going to be a solid game management. He's not going to be asked to make all kinds of extremely good throws um, throughout the season. Um, so I, I think that we're going to be turning around and handing the ball off 35, 40 times a game. And I think when you have a guy who is uh, just an absolutely ridiculous talent coming out of high school, um, the first or second best running back that we've ever gotten out coming out of high school, um, I think that's a guy that, that is going to be utilized a lot this year. And I think that for the first time in four years, we'll have a player that leads the team in rushing that is not the quarterback. That's crazy. That is just nuts, man. Malik Cunningham led the team in rushing yards last year. What do you think? Maybe? I I would say leave it. I just I think that uh, you have several other backs who kind of fit more into what Scott Satterfield's offense was, is predicated on, which is speed. Not to say Colin Wilson is slow because I don't believe that at all. Um, but I I would be shocked if Hassan Hall is not the leading uh, rusher next year, which is why I'm going to leave it. Next one. Let's jump into a little bit of pop culture. Kind of switch things up here. Uh, New girl. We got. Are we familiar with that show? I don't know anything about it at all. All right, uh, Presley, I think it's just going to be you and I, I here. We all, That's I okay. I don't know. Go ahead. All right, New Girl will be viewed the same way fans view The Office and Friends in the next 10 years. Presley, what are you taking or leaving it? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to take it. Um, and the, the reason being, um, you know, 
The Office and Friends are I- iconic, but I-, I think the New Girl has that nostalgia. I think that they have that niche fan base, um, and I-, I think that um, down the road that people will be able to identify more and more with the characters. And I think it's going to be one of those you know binge worthy shows that um, it's becoming more and more that show. There, everybody's like, "Have you seen New Girl?" They're like, freaking love. Uh, um, uh, what, what's his name? You're kidding me. <laughs> you're you're kidding I'm me. So sorry. You are kidding me I'm that so you sorry. sit here and... I'm going to leave it just because of that. Yeah. I am also going to leave it. I love the show New Girl. I think Schmidt might possibly be the best TV character in a comedy of all time. On television. Whoa. Not movies. Television. television. Schmidt is on... I mean, he is just hilarious. But in terms of uh, when you're talking about... The Office, the <laughs> Friends, I get it. You know, it's not my thing, but I understand. It's kind of an iconic show. The Office, there's not very many shows that are ever going to reach that stratosphere of, no. of good. Um, but I, I think that because of the lack of star power in New Girl, I think that in a few years that show is going to be kind of um, forgotten. I think that your hardcore fans are going to say, you know what? Schmidt was damn good. And Schmidt is great. Don't get me wrong. Schmidt is awesome. He's a funny character. Nick is annoying. I can't stand him because, I mean, get your life together, man. Yes. Write your book. Yes. Right? Just write your book. Yeah. Uh, um, but still still a lovable fellow. Oh, uh, what's the roommate's the other roommate? Winston. Winston. Winston is great. Matt. That's what you look like when you don't make it as a professional basketball player. Um <laughs> Uh, but uh, overall, and then of okay. course, how can I forget uh, Jess, who is played by Zoe Deschanel. yeah Zoe Deschanel, who is very good actress. I think she plays a very witty, cute character in the show. But if you compare her to some of the characters in The Office, particularly one who we don't like, I'm not going to go into too much no, detail don't, about don't Pam. Get, don't we get him started. We won't go into detail, but let me ask you this: Jess or Pam? Go. Oh, I'm taking Pam, man. You're taking Pam. I am. Jess is adorable. She's great, but she's annoying. What right? about what about Cece or Pam? Oh, give me Cece all day, man. Cece. Is my, how about hold on? Is my Jess wife or Cece? Is, is my wife listening? Because if she's not, give me Cece all day. I think the Bachelor's still on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Next one. Um, Jalen Smith will be chosen before the third day of the NFL draft. Let me preface anybody's answers uh, by saying Jalen Smith shocked a lot of people by. Um, running a four four forty, a couple of other impressive four four forty. I did not know that he did. Yes, he I did. It was like that's a four, six. that's no, insane. He ran a four. Gosh, y'all know. No, we got we got to look this up. No, Fact let's check. let's Fact look check. it up. Shout out to uh, Ross uh, Provader, Ross Pro on Twitter. You can follow him for all of his incredible takes that are great. Wrote a nice piece on Jalen Smith at the at the Big Red Louie. I'm pretty uh, sure he ran a four six. I'm, no, he did not. Uh, he ran a four four seven to really? be exact. That's really which okay. is why it's on the sheet. Yeah, we should have so. known that before we dove into this because now we look like idiots. I don't know what they're talking question. about. You did write the question, which makes me believe that you knew that all along. I thought that four six was pretty quick for him. However, he did finish uh, in the bottom standings of the three cone drill, which is apparently a big one for wide receivers. I'm not a wide receiver, so I don't know much about wide receiver drills. If I'm picking this, I am going to leave it. I. Just because of the star power at the top of the wide receiver class, but overall the lack of talent in the wide receiver class, I think is going to hurt him. I think that you're going to see a guy like uh, DK Metcalf, who has become a social media sensation because he looks like Zeus and <laughs> runs like Darius Hayward Bay. If you guys remember who that was in yes. the NFL a couple years ago, um, AJ Brown, uh, Nikhil Harry, Debo Samuel. The list goes on and on. Hunter Renfro, David Sills. 
Jalen Smith is just going to kind of be a third. I think his ceiling is a third round pick, which would make him a, a second day pick. But I think he's likely to be fourth through fifth round. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave it. I'm going to show my ignorance here. What is he even being projected at right now? I'm going to leave it before you tell me. But. Well, that doesn't make much sense. But he's been projected. It, it really ranges. I, I think there's it's a lot of people who are really the, high on him. Yeah, all over the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a really bad senior bowl. He That's, dropped a lot of passes in practice. He, he was arguably one of the most disappointing players throughout the senior bowl week. Finished the game, I think, with one catch for like 10 yards. Um, and then you put on top of that how bad the season was for him. That's that's the main reason why yeah. I was going to leave. So I think if you if if you had to put you know a gun to my head, I'd say a lot of the most people are predicting him to be a fifth or sixth rounder. Yep, yep. And, and I think that I'm, I'm going to leave it because I think that that's where he ends up. Um, however, I think that he'll have a more successful um, career, especially if he ends up in a place with the right system for him. Um, just because I I think that um, the four four speed, I mean, it's still blowing my mind because he really is. Jalen Smith is not um, a speed guy. He's a guy who can, you know, if you have time in the pocket, you can hit deep. Um, but he's definitely not the he's not the type of guy who's just gonna like just run straight by you. He's more of the guy who has um, very re- reliable, consistent hands, and he just absolutely just bowls people over for for a wide receiver. I'm gonna make a question right now. Take it or leave it. Do does Lamar get his Baltimore Ravens to pick Jalen Smith? it's funny you bring that up I was going to say that'd be an interesting reunion I don't necessarily believe that that's a great fit for Jalen because I I think that um, you know if you look at Jalen he's going to be more of a possession guy uh, which I mean I don't know maybe that would fit Lamar Uh, but the Ravens are not going to be a pass first offense ever because Lamar is just you know at this point he's limited Mm -hmm. I I would love to see Jalen play for a Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers somebody who's going to be able to get him the ball where he needs it and so the answer is, I don't think that's a great fit for Jalen. So I leave that. Leave. So so we're talking. Does he end up at Baltimore? No. I, I'm I'm going to leave that. Um, just because I think that um, Baltimore is going to be going for, and I think they tried um, this year with. Man, I'm bad with names today. Um, who, who's the veteran receiver that they picked up? Michael Crabtree. And who they've now since released. Yes. Um, I, I think they tried with Michael Crabtree, and I think they're going to try again this year. They're going to try to pick up a veteran guy who can kind of be that deep play threat because Lamar has a sneaky, good, sneaky, dangerous arm. Um, what I mean by that is if they can give him enough time with their really pitiful offensive, or I guess more more pitiful pass protection, um, if they can give him enough time, he does have a, a quality arm throwing downfield. Um, no doubt. No doubt. And, and the play that comes to mind always, forever, when I think of Lamar throwing the ball downfield is North Carolina, his junior year. To Jalen Smith. He, to Jalen Smith. That's what he, I'm saying. He runs around in the pocket for 25 seconds like a chicken with his head cut off, but his eyes are downfield. Nails a deep bomb perfectly into the arms of Jalen Smith. And another one was NC State where he got him in stride. Remember that? It I did. Was, we were blowing the doors off NC State. That, that's why. Same play. Pretty much, pretty much the same play. It was it was over the middle. That he's so good at those over the middle throws, um, and I think those are the types of routes that Jalen Smith is best at running as well. Um, and then that's why I'm going to take it because I think for one, they're boys. They're they're really good friends, from what I can tell at least. Um, and I think they want to reunite. And I think, I, like, good thing it's up to Jalen Smith on where he goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my hey. thing is the only reason I leave it is because there's 30 other options of, of places for him to go, and I think that 
Um, I think the team somebody's going to take a risk on Jalen Smith because you look at the stats, you look at what he brings to the table, and now you look at um, it looks like he had he overachieved in, in, in the combine, um, and, and he definitely has the built-in excuse that number one, Louisville sucked this year. They didn't have a quarterback that played very well, um, and he was injured for half the season. He was playing injured. He he sure. he ended um, the 2017 season with an injured wrist. He started the 2018 season coming off an appendectomy. So. He's a guy who you can look at him um, and say that, that he has a lot of upside. I, I can agree. And and his junior year was quite possibly the most impressive statistically as the wide receiver position as we've seen, you know, since maybe the early, you know, 2010s. But I, I have some more questions for him about last year. I, I'm not saying it's his fault. I know that that, that appendectomy was, uh, you know, a very unfortunate injury at a very unfortunate time. But as the season goes on, I mean, you'd think as a guy who's potentially a top uh, three-round wide receiver in the NFL draft, mm-hmm. to only finish the season with 36 receptions, 550 yards, one touchdown, which came in <coughs> a broken play against Indiana State. Wild. I have more questions about, like, what what happened? That blows my mind to think about that he had, we had a guy as good as Jalen Smith on that team, and he had one touchdown cast in the, catch in the game. In the second game of the year, when when a guy for Indiana freaking State fell over and he just got lucky, right? And that's what I'm <laughs> like, talking about. I think there's more. I think for him, his biggest thing, and, and I'd be curious. I'd like to be a fly on the wall at some of those interviews of what happened, man. Mm-hmm. What happened? All right, let's move on to the next one. Sorry to derail, but it's a, no, it's okay. No, no, I like We're it. all like for it. you bringing your yes, own questions here. More. The next one: Louisville will land a five-star player in the 2020 football recruiting class. Presley, take it or leave it. I am going to take it. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, we only have we've only landed what one five star player ever, right? I, Peanut Whitehead is the last one that yeah, I can remember. Yeah, Maybe I, there's been one since. Devontae then. Fields was kind of one, but right? he's a transfer. He's though, a transfer. So, yeah. Wasn't yeah. really. So the, they, there's never been that just like big name top fifty guy. I think the next year's the year that that changes. I think that Court Dennison, um, he landed what two guys that were in the top fifty of the last class? Yeah, and in his one year at Oregon, arguably year. the number one player in the country, and yeah. uh, I think his name was Kalen Thibodeau. Yeah, yeah. that's it, Kayvon, Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon, yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, so, you know, you, you have a guy like that in Court Dennison. You have a guy um, in in Brian Brown. I, I think that it's going to be a defensive guy. Um, I think that Louisville is kind of um, going off of the promise that they can bring in a five-star guy. Not saying that, that they wouldn't anywhere else in the country, but they can bring in a five-star guy who comes in and contributes right away. And I think that, that that's exactly what they're going to need. I think 2019 is a transition year. Um, I think that much is obvious, but I think 2020 is a year where you can, you can make some noise in the ACC. Yeah. And I think that if you land a five-star guy and you're, you land a top 25 class, all of a sudden you you were what, smack dab in the middle of, of – Contention in the ACC with the Florida State, with the Clemsons, um, and w- w- with the Miamis, who I think is going to kind of turn things around here um, in, a, in a couple of years as well. Yeah, I'm not I'm not ready to go that far to believe that Louisville's going to compete with Clemson because I think Clemson's on an island of their own. But you talk about NC State, you talk about Miami, you talk about Florida State, who's kind of taking a step back. I think Louisville is there. I'm going to take this as well, and you kind of alluded to this. I think the reason why is because the recruiting pitch is easy. Man, we don't have enough players. We don't got mm-hmm. enough guys who can play right now. We didn't recruit a lot of these guys. Come here, we'll get you snaps from day one. And uh, a lot of these other programs, Alabama, Florida, Clemson, you're sitting the bench. You're not going to play your freshman year. Come on down, you know. Come on down to Louisville. 
We've got snaps from you from day one, so I'm going to take it. Ethan? I'll take it. I'll be optimistic. All right, let's move on to the next one. VJ King will score in double digits before the season is over. Presley? I'm going to take this one, and I'm going to take it the next game. I think that he's going to score in double digits against Virginia, and I know that that's optimistic, and it's, it's easy to say coming off, off of the last game. Um, but I think that the way that he's played, um, he was just a couple of, of shots that were right on target from falling in the last game from scoring in double digits. And I think that, um, you know, w- w- with the way that things are going, I think that he's gaining his, gaining his confidence. He's becoming more assertive in the offense. Uh, he's getting his touches. Um, he's been very assertive on the offensive glass. Um, I think that 10 to 12 points is absolutely achievable against Virginia. Um, I think that he's he is a really good fit playing at the two or the three against Virginia. Um, and I, I think that that's where that, that's where we'll see him. Um, what, what do you think? Do you think double digits against Virginia? I, I do. I do think there will be double digits. I'm not sure if it'll be Virginia. I think VJ King right now has shown his best position is the four spot, not the two or the three, because I don't think you can rely on him to attack off the dribble. A lot of his points have come uh, in the last two games. No, I should say a lot because he's only scored 11 in two games. Not to sit here and act like we're talking about the next coming of Zion Williamson. <laughs> but um, I think a little, where he's going to get his buckets is off uh, offensive rebounds, off of uh, you know easy um, slashes to the rim, maybe an open three. And uh, you know what I think should give Louisville fans a lot of encouragement is the fact that he's made five shots off of um, – 16, and yes, I just counted that on my fingers, 16 <laughs> shots in the last two games, which shows the sign of a kid who's rode the bench the last several months. I think that uh, against Virginia, I think he's going to get more run. He's played 19 minutes against Boston College, 24 against Notre Dame. I think you're going to see him probably play in the 17 to 22 range against Virginia, and uh, I think that it wouldn't be shocking <clears throat> if he scored double digits. I will take it, but it, I'm not sure it'll be Virginia. Right, right. It, it, I do want to point this out as well, that – B.J. King is a weapon that Virginia is not prepared for. You know, when, when you play two teams, it's tough. Um, you've seen that they, they've split against Pitt, which isn't obviously is a bad look now at this point in the season. Uh, they split against Boston College, which again is a bad look. But they both of those teams have played Louisville twice. I think Louisville kind of saw that they underestimated Pitt the first time. They got them back because they knew their personnel. They knew what it was like playing against those guys. Um, and it's, it was the same thing against Boston College um, coming back and playing Louisville. You know, they kind of ha- had a taste of what it was like to, to play in a close game with a team that's probably better than they are. I, I, I'm, you know, willing to, willing to say that even at this point. Um, so I, I think that um, VJ King presents a new challenge that they had trouble with Louisville the first game. Um, now all of a sudden you have VJ King, you know, Darius Perry who's coming on. Um, you know, you have Stephen Enoch who played decently against Virginia last time. Um, that that could that could potentially, if his shots are falling, all of a sudden um, presents a threat. So you have a lot of you have a lot of guys that, that they haven't played against that they can be prepared for. Good. I'm going to take it as well. Uh, I I think he is going to have his breakout game against Virginia. I know I said it earlier, um, and I think especially if he starts, I, I I have no clue if he will or not. I but, don't I don't see it. Um, and I, I think he he may do it again. Uh, he may like like Press was saying. You were saying that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's going to have a double digit game two games in a row. Um, I think VJ is really starting to find his stride. Um, he's starting to tune out all the negative stuff he's been hearing on social media, and he's just going to start balling. All right, let's move to the next one. Jordan Wara is going pro after the season. Ethan, 
Well, you all know what I my stance has been on this literally since the <coughs> off season. Um, but I'm gonna go back on it. Uh, I'm going to leave it. What was your stance before the uh, well? Beginning it went change. Well, um, I was convinced that this was going to be a big breakout year for him, which it has. Um, but I think he has shown that um, he's not been shooting the ball consistently enough. Um, he's starting to have been turning the ball over a lot. Um, hasn't been great on defense. I was hoping that, um, you know, for his sake, obviously, that uh, he'd be playing, I guess, for the team, that he'd be playing better defense. Um, but he was kind of struggling with along with the rest of the team, to be fair. Um, and I, I think he's just shown that he's not ready. Um, and so, so you're you're gonna leave it. Um, and I, I know that your stance going into maybe midway through conference play was definitely that he was gone. I think that it's really been very split opinions. Um, I think that you have to look at at what Warren's potential is going to be in the NBA. Um, I don't see him as a guy who is going to be an all-star. I could be totally wrong on that. But I, I'm not sure if he has Donovan Mitchell-type ceiling. Uh, I, I know that that's a, that's a tough comparison. But when you look at a guy that's, that's leaving his first or second year, those are the kind of aspirations that they're having. Um, you know, when you have all these guys at Duke, Kentucky, um, Kansas, who are, you know, coming in and playing one or two years and then leaving, um, those are guys that, that, that scouts are looking at and they're saying, you know, this this is a guy who can come in and contribute in his first couple of years in the NBA. I don't see that in Jordan Mora. Um, you'll hear coaches often say that that your best player is your most consistent player. Um, you know, Mora is labeled as the best player um, for for a little, but I think more. I think a better way to to to, uh, to coin it would be that Mora is the best scorer. I don't believe that War is the best player on this team. Um, I, I think that you have Dwayne Sutton and Kristen Cunningham who uh, provide a lot more consistency, a lot more, um, and they bring a lot more to the table. Um, and I think that Wara, like you were kind of saying earlier, even is he, whenever his shot's not falling, he lacks consistency. Um, there's, you know, if you have a Dwayne Sutton who can go two for ten and still be um, one of the best players in the game. Uh, that's because he's doing so many other great things. Um, he's doing stuff, even if he, it's not showing up on the stat sheet, um, he's having those hockey assists. He's, you know, grabbing boards um, against a, a larger player. Um, he's playing in a position where, where they desperately need him um, to be, whether it be the, the three or maybe a, uh, an undersized four. Um, and and same, same with a few other guys on the team. Um, uh, you know, when you have a, a Jordan Wara, he's still lacking the maturity to – have a consistent defensive game to consistently have, be a good passer. And if you go and look at his stats, he had five out of, out of his last six games going into the Notre Dame game where he didn't record an assist. You can't have a, a player like that who is, is projected to be a role player in the NBA having five out of six games where you're not even recording an assist on a team that is notably a really good shooting team. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it, and I think it's because he is going to test the draft waters, and I think that he's not gonna like um, some of his feedback, and that's mostly due to his consistency. I am going to disagree with you both, and I'm going to take this. I throughout the season believed that he would be uh, more than likely coming back for his junior season, but this week seeing him projected in a mock draft in the first round starts to open my eyes to seeing the fact that. NBA scouts are seeing what he's doing. Right. And here's where I disagree with you, Presley. In the NBA, 
which I, you know, not to brag on myself or whatever you want to call no, this. You, I, I watch the NBA a lot. I, I follow a lot of what the draft people say and free agency and all of that stuff. In the NBA, the guys who are playing a role, they are good at one thing. And I think with Jordan Wara, <clears throat> he is a great shooter. Yes. He is a great shooter uh, spotted up. He is a great shooter if he has to get his shot on his own from deep, not, and not necessarily driving to the paint because he's pretty slow. But I believe that his international experience has helped him to see that he can play professional basketball at a high level. He is, you know, busted onto the scene, should be first team, maybe, you know, maybe first team, likely <coughs> second team all ACC guy this year. For him, I don't know what the ceiling is to, to come back. I don't know if you can get much better than that. Maybe you go all ACC, uh, but I think he's going to have some challenge with a guy like Sam Williamson coming in who's going to demand the ball a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I see Jordan declaring early. With the intention of, let me just go see what this is all about. Going to the combine, shooting the ball well, getting some solid feedback, kind of like Donovan Mitchell did where he was a second-round guy going into the combine and kind of worked his way into the first round. I don't see Jordan necessarily being a top 15 pick. I see him more in the 15 to 30, maybe even 35. For him, I think he takes a chance on himself. I'm not sold that he necessarily wants to play college basketball. That's not knowing anything. That's just an assumption of watching him play. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the NBA game kind of suits him a little bit more and the kind of free, do whatever you want to do, not so much in the flow of the offense. So I'm going right. to take Jordan leaving for the NBA. Um, I guess my, my last question would be, I know that the NBA, um, when they're drafting people, it's often based on on potential, and that's why you see so many guys going early because you look at a guy like Jordan Wara, he has the, the athleticism and the wingspan to be um, a, a really solid player. Um, but I guess the only thing that, that – concerns me about him um i don't disagree with you about the role player aspect of things but i just think about all the nba teams i try to look at at one team where if you put jordan war on that team right now would they would that make them any better and i I think about would um an nba team take a risk on him um potentially you know helping them make improvements and and to me he doesn't seem like he is yet become that guy And, and again this is very much subject to change. You know, there's one game left in the regular season. You have potentially two or three games in the in conference play, and you, you know you never know how many games in the NCAA tournament. So you have three to seven or eight games left in, in, in the season for him. So uh, a lot of things could, could change by by April. Yeah, and I agree. And I think that if Jordan is going to leave, I think a lot of that work is going to be done at the combine in pre-draft workouts, not necessarily in the next week or two weeks. Uh, but I look back at last year's draft. I look at you know Chandler Hutchinson from Boise State. I look at Anthony Simons, a former Louisville commander, declared out of high school. I look at um, Jacob Evans that played at Cincinnati. You go into the second round, and there's Melvin Frazier that played at Tulane, Gary Trent Jr. that played at Duke. I believe Kyrie Thomas at Creighton. Jordan War is better than all of those guys, right? Yeah, Am I crazy? To say, yeah, you're right. And, and I look at a team, and this could be great for Jordan. If you get drafted in the late part of the first round, you're going to play for a Golden State, a Boston, a Philadelphia. Put Jordan on the Warriors, man. Are you kidding me? You put him on a team that just is one or two shooters away from competing. I, you know, I know his defense isn't there, but you give him a coach who can teach him. And, and when Jordan has the right teaching, I think that you see that he has the ability to improve. Well, I'll also say this. The NBA is getting to a point now where I'm the type of NBA fan that just kind of looks at the highlights, checks the scores. I'm seeing 77, 83 at the half. Right, right. I mean, defense is not really a huge concern. Especially in the yeah, right. And I've been saying this for for months. 
Jordan War reminds me so much of Kyle Kuzma, who played mm-hmm. at Utah. He kind of came on late as a junior. It's a little bit different. Kyle played at a smaller school. He wasn't as big of a recruit coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Jordan has got a very similar game, and Jordan is sneaky athletic. Let's not let's not act like oh, that dude I, is not trying to he's, destroy. He's, the, he's put some people on a post. Let's not. Yeah, I was gonna he, say let's not try to deny the fact that the dude has d- just absolutely yeah. destroyed people's lives at the rim several times this season. I know he wears a baggy T-shirt, but and I know I think that. Patino would still have some things to say about his body fat percentage, but I think right. the dude can play in the NBA. And if you're a first-round pick, why are you waiting another year? Right, right. How it, many it, guys it, have lost money by waiting? Right, right. And I, I, I think the last thing that we can say about this probably, I, I, I believe that if he goes and he's projected late second round, I think he comes back. I agree. I, I think, definitely I agree. I think he's a guy that if, the, if they're saying potentially first round, maybe early second round, he's dumb not to go because – Next year, you have a guy in Samuel Williamson coming in. Um, you, you have a really solid recruiting class coming in, and, and you know we, we ne- you never really know um, how, how things are, are, are going to play out. I think that, that it, it would be in his best interest if he's projected and if, if he tests well um, with, the, with the NBA scouts. Um, I, I think that he could potentially go. Okay, um, last but, one. Well, I was going to say, speaking of that, um, I, I want to hit this one as well. If we're regardless of where we let me ask this one because okay, I was gonna I was yeah. gonna reword this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Louisville's point guard for the 2019-20 season is on the roster currently, or will be coming in on the roster next year. Take you it or leave you it. You said will will is not on the roster right now, but is okay. Let me rephrase that. Louisville's point guard for the 2019-20 season is either on the roster or signed a letter of intent. Take it or leave it. So that would mean. Darius Perry, Ryan McMahon, David Johnson, Josh Nickelberry. Take it. Any reason why? Or just because we, <clears throat> because we don't have any room for a grad transfer, if that's what you're alluding to, and I don't see anyone transferring. Um, and, well, I guess that also means, do you think, Norris going. Right. Does Wara right, leave? Right, right. I think there's that's any – I, I would tough. say that as of now, there's a combination of four or five scenarios playing out where a scholarship yeah. becomes available. Right. I, I do um, – I do like David Johnson. Um, I, I do believe in him. Um, but that that is pretty tough. It's a lot to ask of a freshman to come in and start at point guard. Especially with, with a team that I think – you look at Louisville next year with the pieces that they have right now, say Ward does stay, with the pieces they have now, with the pieces they have coming in, I think just that team is a team that's talented enough to make a sweet sixteen or final four run. I don't think there's I don't I don't think there's any question about that. I so, think we're gonna be contenders next year. Yeah, I one hundred percent agreed. Um, and that's the reason why I'm gonna I am going to leave it. With the way that, that Jacob asked it, I believe that there will be some sort of grad transfer coming in next year. Um, weird things happen. Um, we didn't think Dangadell was going to – we thought Dangadell was going to be on this team this year. Um, I think two years ago we thought Donovan Mitchell was going to be on that team. Um, so a lot a lot of things um, happen in the offseason. Um, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that I think that we're um, – that we're unaware of, and I'm not alluding to anything. I, I, don't, I don't know anything that's going on behind the scenes, but I think that a lot, a lot goes on in kids' heads, and I think that um, people see that we have a supremely talented class coming in next year um, and a, a slew of guys who, who are, are going to get a lot of playing time. 
Um, I think that somebody ends up leaving, whether it be Wara or or another guy who's currently um, holding a scholarship from the school. And I, I think that when you look at the grad transfer market this year, um, I think that Chris Mack will have his pick of the litter. I think that he was forced into kind of taking Quan Ford and Kristen Cunningham this year. And he can say, and he can say, look, this is how this worked out. Mm-hmm. I let two grad transfers start all year. We were supremely successful. We got up to 15th in the country. We were leading the ACC with two grad transfers leading the way. And and so literally, we don't we have no idea who will be on the market yet this year. And that's why you know I'm not going to throw any names out at this point it, because it's impossible. You it, can't. You, you, you just can't. can't. There's there's going to be 200 grad transfers next year, and probably 50 of which will be a guy who can who can lead you to develop a point guard position. And by no means do I expect a Kristen Cunningham to be out there. But um, I believe that whoever the best guy is and whoever fits Mac's system in, in his opinion, um, I think that he would be able to go and get that guy. Yeah, I, I would have to think about this. So the question was, is he on the roster? So that would mean if I don't think he's on the roster, I would leave it, right? Yeah. So I'm going to leave it. I, I think that, as I kind of talked about a few seconds ago, I, I think that there's going to be somebody leaving. It's either going to be war declaring for the draft. It's going to be – and I, I, I don't know anything. So don't take what I'm about to say as uh, as rumor. Um but I think that you're going to see a guy like VJ King potentially, depending on how the next couple of weeks go, transfer right. out. I thought a couple of weeks ago there was no doubt in my mind VJ was leaving. I think Ryan McMahon, who will graduate this year, he's a four-year player. I know he's only a Richard Jr. Right. I could see him leaving to take a role on a smaller team closer to his home in oh, Florida. I was going to say he has a lot of personal life stuff going on outside of Louisville. Um, you know, I, I believe that his, you know, his family's back in Florida, and there's plenty of. Very attractive schools to go play for and shoot the crap out of the ball there. Exactly, right. Or a guy, you know, maybe a guy like Malik, a guy like Darius decides this isn't the right fit for me. The other reason is because of um, a name that a lot of Louisville fans probably aren't familiar with. Kawan Fagan uh, was a graduate transfer who announced his decision to leave Santa Clara earlier this year. Louisville announced, uh, Louisville didn't announce anything. It was reported that Louisville had reached out to him. He was a six foot one transfer guard. He ended up declaring to San Diego State. That showed me that there is already an interest in a graduate transfer point guard. Yep. I think that uh, traditionally I know, and I, that I think I know Mac does not rely on freshman point guards. I go back to his team a few years ago. Uh, Quentin Gooden, a kid from Taylor County, Kentucky, was a four-star recruit. He, he was a freshman sensation, didn't play much. They ended up bringing in a couple of guys as transfers uh, and relying on their upperclassmen. I think that you're going to see the same thing this year, even with David Johnson and Josh Nickelberry coming in, guys who fit Max system. I think that you'll see somehow they maneuver a scholarship available, whatever that looks like. I think that they bring in a graduate transfer because I think that they need – whether Nora comes back or not, I think that they need a, a senior guard because that team is going to be so talented that they right. will have championship that's, aspirations. That's the last missing piece, and again, um, you you see more and more in this day and age that there's a lot of positionless basketball being played, um, which means that um, th- there's no longer really a need um, to have um, a, a traditional point guard in that sense. I think that David Johnson is, is a fine ball handler. I think that um, I think that you have a decent ball handler. And <laughs> did that get picked up on the microphone? Yeah, I'm I mean, so I sorry. Did. I didn't mean to burp on air. Uh, well, I, I thought you were going to make fun of me for for um, my comment about David Johnson being a good ball handler. That been Speaking nice. of which, let, let's end the show on this monstrosity. Mr. Kentucky basketball was announced tonight. Who do we? Who do you guys expect won that award? I know who won, but do you know who won? I would. The only name that I know is David Johnson, but I, I think that I would have heard that by now. 
I don't think it was David Johnson. You know, I'm going to get I, – I don't know it, but I'm going to guess Dante Allen because he's committed to UK. And Dante Bulls. Allen won Mr. Kentucky basketball. He played 13 games this season, went out with a torn ACL. David Johnson has led his team back to state for the third year in a row, I believe. Welcome so, to the state of Kentucky. Yeah, it, it's – well, I mean, you, you have to think about people who are voting. Um, you know, it, even the, the, the most reliable basketball sources – in the state of Kentucky, are all diehard UK fans and pretty open about it, which is fine. That's whatever. And it's not even I, – I hear what you're saying. It's not even Kentucky basketball is in the University of Kentucky. It's the fact that the, the rest of the state hates Louisville so much. Yes. And yeah. I know that for a fact. Dante Allen's a good player, too. No, don't get me wrong. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. David Johnson's better. Dante Allen has played in 13 <laughs> right. games this season. Yeah. <laughs> that If that's not an indictment on the state's – Thoughts on Louisville basketball? I don't know what it is. Right, that would be like if Zion's injury happened and he was out for the season, like in December, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Zion Williamson's going to win." You know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah, it's, it's just, just yeah, you're exactly right. It's insanity. Last thoughts, Presley. You got anything you want to end the show on? Uh, we we did we did skip over one. Uh, take it or leave it. Uh, real quick, more than one freshman starts a game next year for U of I, I'm going to leave that. I think Sam Williamson's the only fresh. I, historically, Mac doesn't start a lot of freshmen. He doesn't play freshmen a whole lot. I'm going to say that Sam Williamson starts day one, starts every game of the season. That's it. That's a big. That's a hot take. That's still. That's still. That's a. Hot a that's a. That's a, that's a sizzling take. Uh, I'm going to take it. Uh, I think uh, Mr. Aiden Gayon sneaks into the lineup um, along with Samuel, maybe even David. Yeah, and, and I think that there's different ways of wording who his starter is going to be. I think that uh, Samuel Williamson will be the only consistent starter on this team. Um, I um, I think that David Johnson will get a starter, too. I think that he is that talented. I don't think he's a true point guard, but I think that he, he will be able to play and manage the point guard position. Um, and I also think that Aiden Gahan will, will see some starts situationally. Um, so I'm going to go with three players, but I think that Samuel Williamson will be the one consistent starter for this team. Um Aside from that, last comments, Jacob, anything? I have nothing. Guys, it's been a great, great time. Looking forward to doing this again next week. You got anything? We're going to be for you changing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ethan Sproles. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It's been a blast. Uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter at the Big Red Louie. Uh, you can find us at BigRedLouis.com. A lot of great stuff there being pumped out every single day. There's not a site in the city of Louisville who is putting out fresh uh, insightful, thought-provoking content the way that we are. I don't mean to brag on ourselves, but I'm going to keep it real. Uh, you can follow Presley at uh, Meyer underscore Presley. You can follow myself, Jacob Lane underscore BRL. We will catch you next time here on the Big Red Louie Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>